man that uh, that had had a girl that had his, his eyes set on and wanted to impress her, so he began to write her love letters, and for three months, he wrote her a love letter every day uh, and, and would mail it to her. And then for the next three months, he wrote her two love letters every day and would mail, obviously this, this was uh, years ago, uh, for those of you that, why would you write a letter? But uh, two, two letters a day for three months, and then for the next three months, he wrote three love letters a day and mailed those to to the lady. And after those those nine months, hundreds and hundreds of letters later, the the woman that received them was profoundly affected. She ended up marrying the mailman. Uh, I let it sink in for some of you a little slower today. Uh, in in college, my my roommate, my first roommate, was a guy named. Uh, Mike and Mike was from Michigan and he was a little bit of a dramatic guy actually a neat guy had his had his life planned out and and his life kind of followed what he was after he he came to Ozark Christian College was going to get a degree in Bible and then go to med med school school and become a doctor and then he was going to be a missionary uh, a medical missionary and and that's exactly what he ended up doing but I I remember we hadn't been uh, roommates for, for maybe just a few weeks, and I was in my room uh, studying, or I was in my room, I don't know if I was studying, but I was in my room, and Mike comes in, and he, he kind of floats into the room, flops himself down on his bed, sighs this great big sigh, and says these words, I'm in love. And... Uh, he got my attention, so I asked him about it, and he was in love with Laura Vernon. Laura Vernon was the perfect person for Lord, Lord's dad. I don't remember what his name, I think it was Jim Vernon, was was a missionary. Actually, a, he had a mission in downtown Atlanta to homeless people in Atlanta, and that's way back 40 years ago when, you know, that was kind of unheard of, have those ministries. But he had a missions heart, and she had grown up around that, and he was wanting to be a missionary. She was the perfect, I'm in love with Laura Vernon. That lasted about a month, I think, and, and I don't know what happened, but they, they didn't survive. I, it was about two or three weeks after that that, that he walked in, and he, same thing, he kind of floated in, laid down on the bed, I'm in love. And I'll be honest, I don't remember which one this was, but he, he spit out the name and he told me why she was the perfect girl and it lasted about two weeks. And then, then about two months later, same thing comes in, flops down. Now I'm really in love. And, and he told me about Debbie Silverberg and Debbie Silverberg had just returned that semester after spending a year in Chile as a missionary. She was the perfect girl for Mike. I am in love. They lasted about three months. He was getting a little bit better at this point, but but boy, he he was in love with each each time. But but something didn't something didn't click. Uh, something didn't hang on. We we mentioned last week as we started this series on First Corinthians thirteen that we struggle with we struggle with love because we don't know what it means really. What what is love all about? It. We know it's about love. We see that in the Bible over and over again. But really, what does what does it what does it mean? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Corinthians thirteen. We're going to do a little bit of a, a, a different sermon today because we're going to talk about uh, kind of from a biblical perspective what 
what love is in the Bible, or at least the words that, that are used in the Bible or, or in Bible times to describe what love is. Uh, just like we pointed out last week that we say we love a lot of different things. We, you know, we, we love the Chiefs. We love, uh, we love certain foods. We love certain teams. We love our, our wives or our dogs. And, and uh, obviously wives would be first, but uh, uh, should have started with that one, right? But, but we, we use that word to, in a number of different ways. And the reality was in, in Scripture, there are different words that describe love that had different uh, aspects to it. So if you have your Bibles... I'm going to read today the, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. We're familiar with this chapter, but let's share it together. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and, and I, if I have faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now it goes on to describe what this love is about. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude or self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We're going to look, as I mentioned, at at three, there's actually four different words that are used. We're just going to talk about three of them today uh, that that in and around Bible Bible times, Greek words, and I'll, I'll, uh, some of these I'll spell for you if, you if you want to get the spelling correctly. The first one is a Greek word called eros, E-R-O-S. Eros. Eros, uh, although not found in the New Testament, not, not, that word actually not in the New Testament, was talked about a lot in the New Testament, or the idea of eros. Eros is a me-centered love. Eros is a me-centered love, or or tends to be, it doesn't always have to be, but it tends to be a me-centered love. The word comes from the methodical Greek, uh, mythical Greek goddess Eros, the god of love, passion, and sensuality. Now, now you might, might realize or, and put together or make that connection uh, where this word is used in our English uh, language. We, we get our word uh, erotic from that Greek word. Uh, the difference, though, is erotic tends to be, we tend to see it as, uh, uh, and most times it's used in a, uh, in, in, a, in a naughty way or, or in a forbidden connotation, but eros was simply uh, physical, sensual, personal love. But, but here's a reality about eros love that we need to know. First of all, it's natural. Uh, as I said, not found in the New Testament, but but that idea of of physical, uh, sensual, 
uh, even sexual expression of love is both in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says this, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Jesus quoted this same verse, this Genesis verse, over in Matthew chapter 19. Uh, Thus, it's established both in the Old Testament and by Jesus in the New Testament that God has a plan for that type of of physical, sensual, sexual love, that type of expression of love, and it's within the confines. We see that in Genesis as well as in Jesus' context. It's in the the confines of marriage. Now, can I uh, interject here for just a second? Uh, Even though it's in our world today, it's deemed old-fashioned, out-of-touch, Puritan. It goes against what culture says. And dare I say that even within the church, we probably see it as old-fashioned, archaic, and non-applicable. Every time that eros love or that concept of physical, sensual, sexual love, every time it's spoken of in the Old Testament, every time it's spoken of in the New Testament, it always is in the confines of marriage. So it, it, it is a love that's talked about. It is, it is love. It's, it's somewhat me-centered. It somewhat tends to fall that way. But it's always, it's always in the confines of, of marriage. It's, it's God's gift to us. It's natural, but it's intended for marriage. All others all other examples of this sexual part of this love uh, expressed between a man and, or not expressed between a man and woman in the confines of marriage is sin. But let me let me let me state that again, just so so we understand what 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 Scripture says. Every time we see sexual uh, intimacy described in the Old or New Testament, it's always in the confines of marriage, and if it's not in that confine, it's sin now now let me point this out it's not unpardonable but all willful sin all willful sin takes a toll all willful sin separates us from god's perfect plan for us now 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 lest lest we fold our arms and lean back with judgmental looks on our face, kind of a pharisaical look on our face, and, 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 and think, or maybe we're looking at someone, or, we, or we're, well, I'm going to let someone know about this today. L- lest we have that kind of judgment towards someone that, that may be committing that sin, can, can I point out that, that we can interject, we can replace a lot of different things and the same would be true. If we struggle with the sin of gossip, if we struggle with the sin of bitterness, if we struggle with the sin of judgment or anger or drunkenness or envy or stinginess with our time or with our money, if if we choose not to use the gifts that God has given us to, to use them in His kingdom, uh, that is willful sin. And I don't care what willful sin that we choose to partake of, when we do it, it separates us from God. It separates us from God. This idea of becoming one flesh, particularly the, the, the sexual side of that, uh, uh, that, that we see in Genesis chapter 2 and, and in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus quotes it, 
really has a dual application or dual meaning. So, so when he says the, the two will become one flesh, it, it certainly has a spiritual side to that. There, there truly is, when, when he said that back, way back at when, when God created man, uh, Adam and Eve, and, and when Jesus quoted it again, he is talking how we come together as, uh, as husband and wife, and there, there is a, 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 a becoming of one. There's a spiritual, beautiful way that that is true, but it also, it also is literally referring to uh, a sexual union as well. Uh, we know particularly in the Old Testament, we can turn to passages that, that might seem a little racy. In fact, if you want to, I'm going to look at a couple of them. Song, in the book of Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, sometimes called chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. Now, now, now notice what it says there. This is, this is in the Bible. Uh, Let me kiss him with the kisses of my mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Now, I, I tried to imagine when Rita says my name, is it like perfume flowing from <laughs> More times than not, it's not, it's not perfume, but maybe every, every now and again. Uh, and, and, over, uh, and I'm not going to read all of this. I could, could go on this. But over in Song of Songs chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, catch this. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind your veil are doves. That's kind of a cool metaphor. Your hair is like a, <laughs> your hair is like a flock of goats. Guys, try that. Uh, if, if your wife's not here, your girlfriend's not here, try that. You know, you know run, take your fingers and run it through her hair and say, honey, your hair. It's, it reminds me of a flock of goats. Just see what happens and report back, please. Uh, like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Yeah. It gets better. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn, <laughs> coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. Not one of them is alone. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of a pomegranate. You might even go, go to Walmart, buy a pomegranate, and cut it in half, and, oh, this is what it reminds me of. Uh, I'm not going to read on because it gets a little racier as it goes on. But here's the reality is, is eros love, eros love, a, a sensual, a physical, uh, even sexual love is, is talked about in Scripture. Um, it, it's the idea of, of passion, uh, of stirring of the heart. But eros tends to be me-centered. It tends to be me-centered, even though it's natural. You, all, all you have to do is, is listening, and, and I did with my roommate, listen to someone talk about when they're first in love. And, and, and there's a lot of I's and there's a lot of me's. Uh, I'm in love. Oh, she makes me feel so girl, good. Oh, oh, because I'm with him, I feel, I feel so wonderful. I, I've never been so happy. They fulfill me. I can't wait to see them again. And I's and me's. Eros tends to be, it doesn't have to be, even though it's natural, it tends to be me-centered. Eros also tends to be temporary. It burns hot like a match, but tends not to stay hot very long. The, the passion, the, light heart, uh, the lightheadedness, the, the heart skipping a beat when you're together. Um, can, can we just be honest here? Can we just be up front? That, that kind of fades with time. That, that Eros love doesn't last. Now, Reed and I still 
get lightheaded, but it, that's when we stand up too fast. Um, our, our hearts often skip a beat, but that's because we walked upstairs to, to go to the bedroom and we're trying to catch our breath. Uh, uh, l- let me illustrate this way. Couple, I, I was trying to, trying to pick out a couple of you. I'm not going to call you out by name, but, but I want you to know this. Couples, so, so you that have been married for, for, uh, for any amount of time, I don't know what, maybe one year, two years, five years, 20, whatever it is. Uh, I, I want you just, if you'll do this, just look down and see how much space there is between you and your mate. You guys haven't been married that long. Okay. Do, do you remember when you first started dating and you, you were with your, your uh, special one? I mean, I, I, your parents probably did this. I did, that, I did this with my kids. I remember going to my kids and putting my hand like, okay, you're too close. Scoot over a little bit. You need a little more space there. Uh, some of you, I can see you out there. there. There's still space, but not back when you were first dating. Man, when you were first dating, you were, man, you couldn't get close enough. Uh, your, 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 your little girlfriend, your little, maybe fiance, you know, she'd lay her, nestle her little head on your shoulder and, and you'd wrap your arm around her. I, maybe even you sat there and she would cock her leg up and put your, her leg on your leg. <sighs> Are we getting, t- I'm sorry. Uh, now, now try that, ladies. Try, l- lean over to your husband and kind of just lay your head on his shoulder. He's going to be like, <laughs> come on. Put your leg on him, and he's going to look at you like, what in the world are you doing? I, I remember when Reed and I first started dating. I, I, don't, I, I don't remember if it was the first date or not, but I, I should. But, but I remember when we first started holding hands. Woo! And I, I remember it was kind of tentative at first. You know, you just kind of, kind of nudge over and you know, touch a little bit, and then kind of. And, and I, I remember holding her hand, and my, and my heart, you know, lightheaded, skipped a beat, guys, isn't that right, man? I remember, oh, that's great. And I remember when we dated, we'd, we'd walk hand in hand. I mean, all, all over campus. Now, we still hold hands. <laughs> what is it? About 10 seconds, we're like, man, my hand's sweating. <laughs> what? <laughs> it, but, but you see, don't you, don't, don't you understand? Um, Eros love is it's passionate, it's sensual, it's exciting, it's natural. Um, but it's hard to sustain. Uh, it's hard to su- sustain. But let me just toss this out, and then we'll we'll move on to the next one. It, it can be rekindled. Uh, it doesn't mean that we have to throw it away and it'll never happen a- again. It, you you can always strike a new match, and and maybe it's not going to be like that first time you ever met or that first time you you held hands or put your arm around them. Um, but but it can be rekindled. Eros love is scriptural. It's a gift given to us by God. Uh, but it's not the only love that's in marriage. It's not the only love in our life. It's certainly not the only love in the church. There's a, there's a second Greek word that is used, and this word we do find in the New Testament quite a bit. A second Greek word for love, and it's the Greek word phileo. Uh, I'll spell that one for you, P-H-I-L-E-O, or you can spell it however you want. Uh, just get the pronunciation, phileo. Phileo is, a, is an us centered love an us centered love tony compalo uh, compolo describes flow this way he says it's a kind of love that grows up between two people who are committed to the same goals and purposes in life it is what emerges between people who share common beliefs and concerns w.e vine in his uh in, in his work on new testament words says this phileo most nearly represents tender affection 
Phileo is never used to, as a command to love God. When we're told to love God, it's never a phileo. Uh, but it is used uh, one time in John chapter 5.20 to describe a father, the, the father's love for his son. In, in John 5.20 it says, For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. It's the word that is used of the Apostle John when it describes him. Remember how John was described, I'll let someone answer. John was described as the Apostle who, anyone? Come on, don't leave me hanging. John was described as the Apostle who Jesus loved. Come on, you knew that one. Um, that, that's how he was described. In, in fact, in John chapter 20, verse 2, this is around the resurrection. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that was John, the one Jesus loved. The, the word that's used there is phileo. Now, now we see phileo or, or uh, that concept in English. Uh, uh, philanthropic, uh, that's two Greek words put together, phileo for love and anthropos uh, or anthropology put together. That means love for man. Um, if you're uh, philanthropic, then you care about other people and you do things to help your man. You love men. Uh, we, we all probably have heard of the city Philadelphia. Uh, that comes from two Greek words, phileo, for love, and uh, adelphos, which means brother or kinsman. So that's why Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love. So it comes from that Greek word phileo. So phileo... Um, let me just throw out two ways that, that we probably see it most naturally. One, it's a love for family. It's a love for family. It, it's not just that, and it's not only that, but, but that is, and, and there's also different types of love for family, but um, in, in fact, there's a, another Greek word called storge, which kind of has family love idea to it as well. But it's a love for family. Let me, let me illustrate. Um, back on New Year's Day, Reed and I went and had uh, lunch with... Uh, with a family that lives in Kearney. Actually, it was a mother and her daughter and her daughter's family. Uh, and as we sat down for lunch, they began to tell us what was going on in their life. In fact, we'd seen it on Facebook. But, but their daughter has two children, uh, and, and both of their kids were adopted. They couldn't have kids themselves, so they adopted two children. One's in, uh, both are in college. Now, one's a, a sophomore, uh, and the other's a freshman in college. So, so their daughter, who's 18 or 19-year-old freshman in college, just found out who her biological father was. And, and they were telling us over lunch that they had just gone to uh, Texas and had spent two or three days right before Christmas with her biological dad and his family. She had just found out who her dad was and that she had half-brothers and sisters. So she was telling us this story. She was, she was just talking. Her face was just a glow, talking about how cool it was to meet him and, and, and meet her brothers and sisters. And at the end of the conversation, she said, she said, I love them so much. Now, I thought two things. I'll, be, I'll, I'll just be honest. I thought two things. Number one, um, and this, this is going to sound odd, but my heart, my heart actually hurt a little bit. Because as a parent of, a, a, of an adopted child, when she talks so glowingly, I, 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 I hurt for her mom and dad that have raised her from a baby, that have invested their life in her. They're, they're secure people, they're, they're, you know, and they're going to stand with her. It's not going to hurt them. But, but I, I kind of hurt from a little bit. And the second thing I thought was, you've only known them for a few days. You've only known them for your, for your How could you love them? But that is phileo love. 
See, phileo love is, is, is a family love. and it, It's kind of one of those things, even, even though she had only known them, had, they'd only been in her life for, for literally just, just days, she, she literally could have a true love that's deep and, and, and really passionate because they were family. Now, I'm, I'm not, and this may be true of some of you, or probably if you're honest, you could say, I'm not equally close to all of my siblings. I have five siblings, and, and I'm not equally close to, to, to all of them. Probably the closest, the one I'm closest to is my twin. That's, you know, that's just like a rule or a law that you have to be close to your twin. Uh, I'm not equally close to all of them. In fact, my brother, who just passed away a few months ago, uh, we, we weren't necessarily close. It's not like there was any baggage or any history that was negative. We were close when we were little, but when life we grew up and went different directions. And as adults, c- compared to some of you, maybe with your brothers, we just really weren't that close. But, but when I got a phone call on a Friday night that he had had a heart attack, it was no question. I got in the car and drove the six hours to Champaign, Illinois. And, and, and it was something Rita and I discussed. I, I, I don't really even know why. I, I can't put words to why I felt so responsible for his kids. His kids are all adults. They're doing fine. They're okay. Their, their mom lives in the same city that we were at at the hospital. It's, but, but I felt just a, a, a passion that I, I needed to wrap my arms around them and take care of them. That's phileo. About a month ago, uh, my cousin, cousin Daryl Ray, uh, I think he was 59, a couple years younger than me, passed away. Daryl. Daryl Ray lived, uh, had a hard life growing up. His dad, my uncle, was an alcoholic, and and he had a rough life, and he lived a hard life. I'm surprised he made it to 59. But growing up, Daryl Ray's nickname was Hardhead. Now, I never called him that, uh, just didn't feel right, but but it was a fitting nickname. He was a hardhead. Uh, he, he did the stupidest things sometimes. Uh, he was in trouble at school, in trouble in the community, in trouble at home. He just, you couldn't believe a word he said. He made up stories, far-fetched. He, there, he was, it, it was a perfect nickname. He was a hardhead. But I remember, I remember a group of people talking about him one day, and, and they were calling him by, by that nickname. Well, hardhead did this, and hardhead did that. And I finally spoke up and said, hey, that's my cousin. Now, what they were saying was probably true, but still, that's family. That's phileo love. Uh, but it's not just for family. Uh, it's, it's also uh, it, it's a love that we have with other people. It's a love that we have for, for friends and, and also can be applied within the church, within our, our body of Christ. If, if I were to ask you to take a card, I'm not going to do that, but if I were to ask you to take a card and write down the names of people, of friends that you love. So, some of you, it might just be a short list, one or two. Some of you, it might be five. Some of it might be 10, 15, 20. Uh, in fact, some of you probably have friends that, that when, you, when you part, maybe a, when you end a phone conversation with them, you say to them, I love you. I really only have one friend. I do that with all my family, but I only have one friend that I do that sometimes. It's just not my kind of thing. But uh, uh, but but flail love is with friends. Now, obviously, it's 
It's not eros love, it's phileo. You love them because of things you have in common. It might be because you grew up together. It might be because you, you met in college and your life's just clicked. Maybe you have the same hobbies, the same, love the same sports teams. You hang out together, uh, but, but you're drawn together. It's a friendship, and it's real, it's deep, it's personal, it's powerful. That is phileo love. And let me just throw this note, and we'll move on to the last one and, and finish up here. Uh, that, that type of love is and should be present in marriage as well. Uh, m- marriage definitely has eros love, but it should also have phileo love. It should have a love that you are intimately close with each other because you're friends. There's a connection there. The, the, the third one that we will look at, and... And it's the one that he talks about when he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. When he says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, he uses the word agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape. Agape love is a you-centered love. W.E. Vine says about agape, It was an exercise of divine will in deliberate choice, made without assignable cause, save that which lies in the nature of God himself. See, agape love, agape love is different because it is a love of choice. It is a love of choice. We we see... uh, we see the definition of agape love when we see how it's used. We'll, we'll note over the next weeks from 1 Corinthians 13 what he says about agape love. But let me give you some examples of, of how it's used. Agape love is the word that is used to describe God's love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That's agape love. First uh, John chapter 4, let me read that for you. First John Chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this. This is how God showed his love for us. Agape love. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we, we might live through him. This love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own agape his own love for us in this while we were still sinners christ died for us now 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 how how do we most easily see that illustrated i think we most easily see that illustrated in a parent-child relationship Uh, when parents illustrate and show love for their their children they do it because it's their choice to love them Uh, so so kids now you're probably not going to answer this but how do you know your parents uh, and, and if you're as adults, you can look back on your 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 uh, your time growing. How do you know your parents love you? Well, well, they get up in the middle of the night if, if you're sick. They sacrifice their time, their money, their their sleep, their life for you. They they fix what you break, and when you're broken, they're there to fix you. They stand behind you and support you. So let me ask this question, kids: What did you ever do? And, and as an adult child, you can answer this as well. What did you ever do to deserve your parents' love? Nothing. Now, maybe when you're older and they're older, yeah, you probably could add some things to that. But, 
But as a child, what did you ever do? Now, now, all you boy child children out there, now, I, I bet this happened within the first week of your life. There was probably a moment when, when your, your mom was changing your diaper and she was hovered over, o, over you, and you know where this is going. She was hovered over and she was talking baby talk to you. And she was talking about how precious you were and how beautiful you were. Maybe she was gently rubbing your cheek and you peed all over her. Moms, did that happen? I mean, it happened to me too. You've got to be fast. Uh, Moms and dads both, uh, you're, you're holding that sweet little bundle of joy and just talking to them, and, and you get ready to put them up on the shoulder, and they hurl uh, that, that and, and nothing worse than formula or breast milk thrown. Oh, that's nasty stuff. Or, or maybe it came out the other end. You, 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 certainly, you certainly didn't do anything to be loved. They chose to love you. That's why the best example we can see of God's love for us is the love of a parent for a child. And yet God's love is deeper and richer and more complete than the love of a parent. In fact, the love of the parent, that agape love, comes from God. That's how parents can love that way. It's from God. And just so we know, husbands and wives, it it, it, it falls in our realm as well. We know in Ephesians 5.25, it says, Their husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. So, so husbands, it uses not the word eros or phileo, but it uses the word agape. Husbands, agape love your wives as Christ loved the church. Love so self-sacrificially that you're willing to give. This is the love of godly marriages. Not eros, or not just eros or phileo, but agape, I choose to love you. Agape is also used to describe how, now, now you're going to find this odd, but it's also the word used to describe how to love our enemies. Matthew 5.44, but I tell you, it's got to be a typo, right? But I tell you, agape your enemies. Love Love selflessly and passionately and completely. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute persecute you. You you, you might have been with me on every aspect I've talked about love till we got to here. But Jesus uses agape love. See, he couldn't use eros because it just didn't make sense. He really couldn't use phileo because that doesn't work. So, so, so God had to make up a whole new concept, which was what agape love is. God had to come up with a whole new idea that, that you can love even your enemy. Romans twelve seventeen says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. That's why Jesus on the cross could say, Father, forgive them, not Father, zap them. Corey, Ten Boom, in her book, The Hiding Place, talks about her trials. Uh, Corey and her, her sister and father were, uh, were accused, accurately so, because they were doing this, accused of harboring Jews uh, in Nazi Germany, and they were thrown and taken into concentration camps. Uh, there, there was a, a young man named Jan Vogel who was the one that betrayed them. 
Dan Vogel was the one that turned them into the, the Gestapo, and they were in the concentration camp because of this guy. Uh, Corey Timboon's sister, Betsy, immediately forgave Dan Vogel and began to pray for him. Corey Timboon talks that it took her months before she could have the same passion, have the same love for an enemy. It's not easy. But agape love, uh, the, the love that we see here in 1 Corinthians 13, the love that God has for us when he sent Jesus, it's the same word used when it says that's what you have to have for enemies. And, and agape is the word that's used to describe our love for others. Matthew 19, 19, Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, this is how we know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. We ought to love our brothers the same way. It's all about love, but what, what does it mean? Yeah, there's, there, there's a, a physical love, a, a passion, a uh, the closeness that way, it's, it's biblical. There's, there's a, a love that gets deep in our heart that's because we share uh, something in common with people. They're either family or they're friends. and We see life the same way, and, and God just blesses us with that. But there's also agape love, a, a love that says, I'm going to do it. Even if it doesn't feel good, even if it doesn't seem natural, even if it's not easy, I'm going to love. There's a man, we'll close with this. Guys, you can come on up. There's a man that had just arrived in heaven. Uh, and, and as he got there, St. Peter met him at the pearly gates. And, and as he was talking to, to Peter, he was just expressing how thankful he was that, that heaven was his. And he just couldn't believe uh, uh, how, how blessed he was. But, but he made this request. He said, Peter, can, can you do this for me? If you can, it's all right. But, but, but is there any way I could go down and see what it's like in Hades? just so I will appreciate that much more what I have here. And so, so Peter granted him his wish. And, and, and so they went down to Hades. And, and in Hades, there was this table, and it was as long as the eye could see. And on this table, it was, it was, it was chock full of all types of foods, extravagant, extravagant foods, all, all this food. But sitting around the table, everyone was starving. So, so the guy asked Peter, so what's the deal? There's all that food. Why, why are they starving? And, and Peter said, well, it's required that they have to eat with four-foot-long chopsticks. The problem with that is you pick up your food with a four-foot-long chopstick, you can't get it to your mouth. So, does that make sense? And so they went on up to heaven, and he entered in heaven, and what he did, the first thing he saw was this huge, huge table spread as far as the eye could see, and, and, and food on it, just like he had seen in Hades, just the most extravagant foods, the most beautiful luscious foods all on this table and everyone is sitting around the table and they were laughing and they were happy and they were well fed and and uh and and so the guy just asked peter said well well how do they eat how how do they eat and peter said well well they're required to eat with four foot long chopsticks just like in haiti and uh or hades not haiti and uh the guy said well i i don't understand in in hades they're uh they're starving, but here they're well fed. What, what's the difference? And Peter said, well, in heaven, we feed each other. 
That's agape love. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you that even though we don't deserve it, even though we can never, never deserve it, never do enough good, never be holy enough, never be righteous enough, Father, we can never give away enough stuff to deserve or earn your love. You chose to love us. Father, instill in us that kind of love. Father, bless this church. Pour on this church. Pour on us as believers that kind of love. That kind of love that sees other people, sees our brothers and sisters in Christ, sees our world around us, and chooses to love. Father, we pray this morning, if there's someone here that doesn't know that love in their heart, that they will make the decision today to know you and know your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, we would ask you to come. If you're not familiar with that kind of love, that kind of, that kind of acceptance, that, that kind of I choose you kind of love, we would ask you to come. Would you stand as we sing our decision hymn?